Welcome to The Rework with Allison Tyler-Jones, a podcast dedicated to inspiring portrait photographers to uniquely brand, profitably price, and confidently sell their best work. Allison has been doing just that for the last 15 years, and she's proven that it's possible to create unforgettable art and run a portrait business that supports your family and your dreams. All it takes is a little rework. Episodes will include interviews with experts from in and outside of the photo industry, mini workshops, and behind-the-scenes secrets that Allison uses in her portrait studio every single day. She will challenge your thinking and inspire your confidence to create a profitable, sustainable portrait business you love through continually refining and reworking your business. Let's do the rework. Hi there, and welcome back to the Rework Podcast. My guest today is Mr. Jed Topper, host of This Conversation Podcast. If you listen to his podcast, you've heard all of the amazing photographers that he's talked to, and he is a conversationalist extraordinaire. What we're digging in today together is value, the concept of value, the concept of valuing yourself, the concept of communicating that value to your clients. And Jed is digging into this with me in kind of interesting and weird ways, which I love. Everything from changing the settings on his Wacom tablet and how that saved him over a thousand per year to his philosophies on hiring. Apple computer, mentors, and more. Can't wait for you to dig in with me. Let's go. Jed Toffer, host of the infamous This Conversation website. Now you are going to be on the other side of the mic. I am. I you am. ready for this? No, but I'm you are. willing. Okay. I'm going to try really hard not to like be annoying, like an annoying podcaster that has a guest and only does all the talking. So what I want to talk to you about, the conversation I'd love to have with you, and you and I've had many of these conversations, but just not recorded. I just want to talk about value. So communicating value to clients, communicating value in your own brain about what it is that you do. Just I feel like that's kind of the root of all the evils that we do (laughs) in this business. So I, I would not disagree with you. I think we're on the same page with that. Okay. So just thoughts and feelings. What do you think about... How do you and Vicky through the years... Has there been a trajectory of that? How do you communicate the value to your clients? How do you get it cemented in your own head? Where do you think the problems lie in the industry with that? Okay. The very first thing that I would address regarding value is that you need to start by valuing yourself before you can... I think it's kind of like love right? Not to get yeah. too crazy or... It's, you know, we can't get crazy enough or deep enough. Well, we can't. Okay. Well, but just you know, go I, there. I don't, I also don't want to sound like too cliche either, but I do right. believe that there's something to it in that it's like love and that in order to love or to be good at loving somebody else, I think it's imperative that you love yourself. And I think the same thing applies to value. In order to maybe offer something of value or in our case be able to create something and then sell something of value that's priced appropriately is that that's the first thing that comes to my mind when we're talking about value in this case you need to value yourself and your time and your work you need to actually understand and believe that your time is valuable because you are valuable does that yeah, resonate for sure and that i think the older you get you realize 
that the ultimate currency is time, right? That's the only thing that everybody has the same 24 hours, you know, and so we aren't getting any more of it. And it's, you know, literally slipping through our fingers as we sit here and have this podcast. So it's the ultimate currency. And I think you realize that as you get older. And the other thing is, is that everyone is on the same playing field. Nobody has more of it. Nobody has less of it. It's the same. It's an equalizer in that vein. So the other piece is regarding value. When you value yourself and you're selling something of value to somebody else or offering something of value to somebody else that you created, they should be on the same page as you regarding the time that it takes to create said thing, right? So like we've had people back and forth over the years try to, uh, what, negotiate? Mm-hmm. You know, have you ever had someone try to negotiate? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, you know, they try to get you to lower your price or they try to get you to do a bunch of stuff for nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the one thing that you can appeal to is that that common denominator being time because they also have the same amount of minutes in a day that you have, really. Right. And so, you know, how many times you probably run into this quite a bit, but how many times do you run into a situation where it takes that realization, you got to communicate that realization to somebody on the other side of the desk or on the other side of the room and they should get it. And if they don't, what else can you do? You know, in those, Right. In those well, situations? and I think sometimes I feel like if I get to that point of the conversation, I've already lost. If I haven't built it up so much before then, like if we're getting down to like, dude, this took me a long time to do, like that is the wrong, in my mind, that is the wrong conversation. Because for example, when Ivan, my husband came into the business in 2013, he had no, like most men had no knowledge what his wife was doing on a daily basis. You know, he knew that I was running a portrait studio, but I sat him down and I said, look, these are things that you need to know. Let me just run through the pricing and kind of how it works and what we do. And so he's like, okay, you know, so I put the price list in front of him and he's like, hun, for an 11 by 14, like, are you yeah. serious? Yeah. We can't charge this. Like, hun. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, dude. I can't say don't quit your day job because he just had quit his day job and was coming to work with me. Uh, it was already done. It was already done. <laughs> and I said, okay, okay, okay. I'm like, you just need to set aside that little whatever just came out of your mouth. And we're in August right now. At the end of November or early part of December, we're going to have this conversation again. And I want to, mm-hmm. I want you to look at those prices. And so, mm-hmm. so we just had to set that aside. Luckily, he wasn't doing the selling. Thank goodness. And he was doing the production, right? And so we did have that same conversation. And literally, I didn't have to have the conversation because mid-November, he's like, "Hun, these prices got to go up yeah, because he saw too, what went low. into it. You know. Right, so I, I right. think that your point right. of cementing it in our mind... So we don't need to actually have that conversation with a client as far as like, this takes three hours of retouching and I spend all this time. It's like, oh, no, I no, hope no. Not. Right. no, right? We know that. We know it. But sometimes we choose not to know it. We lie to ourselves and think, well, it's just five minutes in Photoshop. I feel bad. I don't want to charge them extra for that. You but know, when I you... put five minutes is a long time. No, because, five minutes times a thousand because it's times not you touched it. Right, no. Right, it's, because it's yeah. not once. It's it's a hundred thousand times. So five minutes. Yes. You know, it's funny. I This used to be one of the things I used to say to people when I was trying to get them to use a Wacom tablet. And I was telling everybody or Wacom, however people want to say it. But I was trying to convince people that it was a good idea. And so what I did was I would ascribe the option key as a retoucher. I would ascribe the option key 
to the little button that my finger rested on on the stylus using my Wacom tablet when I was retouching. And I did some calculations that with the amount of time, just the amount of time that it saved me every time that I needed to use the option key in Photoshop, that it saved me $1,372 a year wow. in time. And that was just one of the things one that thing. I yeah. used. And I had a big, you know, I had it all written up because I was trying to get my wife to require everyone that worked for us to use a tablet. And of course, nobody wanted to initially because they weren't used to it. But right. just that little piece, you know, you make tiny little adjustments and you think to yourself, oh, this isn't that big of a deal. But it is depending on that multiplication factor. What was it? I think I read one time United got rid of like two olives instead of they did two olives instead of three olives for all of their drinks or something on all of their planes. And it saved them like $578,000. I'm throwing numbers out, but... Oh yeah, it, no, it, but Walmart did that too with like when they, you know, their fabric measuring. So they yes, went to like an scale. automatic measuring. Yeah, they, yes. instead of like doing it with the fingers, they just did a little thing that measured it and it was like millions yeah. of dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like $14 million. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's right. it's so just for, crazy how you, you got to keep those factors in mind. I made a list of regarding value in particular and things that matter in decisions that we made. I made a list of game changers. Um, I that we love incorporated it. You know how I into, love a list. Yeah, I have a list and I usually don't do that. But so happy right now. I, I started thinking about it and I wrote these things down. And the very first thing was pricing appropriately and focusing on profit via mm. products. Lots of P's, very literal. Pro- let me, let the, me break that down. The, pricing appropriately and... Focusing on profit via products. So okay. making money by selling products that are priced appropriately. appropriately. Kind of like what we were just talking about. And one of the things I wrote under there was realizing that we weren't selling to ourselves. Because mm-hmm. I remember right. when we first built this place, we were in this big studio and my dad came walking in and he saw our prices and he goes, I can't believe people pay that much for pictures. <laughs> Thanks, dad. Well, I, there Appreciate is a little it. bit of that. There, yeah. there is a little bit of that. But the pictures. big thing was, yeah, pictures. But the big thing was that I had to realize too, you know, this is 20 years ago. I had to realize too that, well, my dad's not a client. You right. Know? My, my, most of my family probably aren't clients. And we wouldn't be our clients most likely. At, certainly at the time, we could be now maybe, but certainly not when I was 24 years old, 26 years old. Mm-hmm. I couldn't afford the stuff that I was selling people. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had to be okay with that. And also what you're not factoring into that is that you didn't need to because you could do it. Right. You had right. the skill set right. to right. do it. So like, sure. you know, it's like the, the new attorney couldn't probably pay some guy to bust out a trust for him, but he could right. do it himself. Yeah. Right. Very well put. Okay. I love that. So internal value first, like having the value yeah. cemented in our mind as far as like, this does take a lot of time. This does take 75,000 clicks, death by a thousand right. cuts in Photoshop. I'm taking time away from my own children and my own family to photograph your children and your family. And there's a price to be paid for that and that that has value. What about what the value that it's providing for the client? Like communicating that because that really, I think, is what we're selling. It's not our time. It's not you know, that might be part of our rationale for our own internal justification. But what is it that we are communicating? What is it that we're actually selling to the client? Like what's the value end result? What's the value to the client? Well, I think there's a lot of stuff wrapped up into that. 
So one of the things that comes to my mind is that a value is based on perception. But I also think that that can be misleading because I don't think that value is entirely based on perception. I think that perception can be a big piece of that. And I think that ties into your brand and how you present yourself and the experience that you offer. Because there's a lot of these associations that are tied into the value of your work, I believe. But I also think there's a reality to it too. There's a concrete objective piece that you actually helped me consider at one point when you said something like this. I'll butcher what you said, but I think (laughs) I'll get the idea right. You said something like, I don't think, how can I sell something for $5,000, but how can I make something that's worth $5,000 to sell? And I think there's an objective piece to that, right? Like, sure. There's so many people that are involved in photography in general, whether you want to consider them professional or prosumers or consumers, you know, however you want to consider them. And I think one of the things that separates the person that should be pricing their work higher than others is not just the experience they offer their clients, not just the brand that they've created that affects how they're perceived. You know, somebody like Peter Lick, for instance, that can get a mm-hmm. million dollars for a photograph. It's not just because he's that much better than a lot of other landscape artists. It's because he's built a brand, right? And right. there's a perceived value to his work. But you know what else Peter Lick is really good at? Peter Lick is really good at composition. He's really good at finding the light. He's really good at making things in post. He's really good at putting out a physically high quality product. You know, there's all these other variables that I think come into play. And it's not like, oh, Peter Lick's just some lucky dude that, you know, was in the right place at the right time and found the the right naysayers. Yeah. You know, right. The work is good. The work is stellar. The work is beautiful. It's excellent. It's excellent. And the product itself is excellent. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So there's all these boxes that I think get checked beyond just, oh, value is based on perception. Yes, it is. And there's more to it than that. Right. I agree. And I feel like coming up through the industry, you kind of have photographers that lecture and teach tend to fall into a couple of different camps. One is like <laughs> the diehard artist. I mean, there's lots of camps, but the, yeah. there's like the diehard, like the image is everything. The quality is everything. And we shall die on the hill of the quality. And then the other is like, well, I mean, yeah, it's good to be the quality, but like, it's all about the selling. It's all about the branding. And I like, why do we have to pick one? Like, can't we pick both? Shouldn't we always be striving to create excellence and make our work be the best that it can possibly be technically and creatively and how it's produced? But then also with that, and I think those are the... In any brand, in any industry that you look at, when those two things are married together, when the actual work itself is excellent, and then the way that it's sold is excellent and an experience and makes you just like want to marry it, then that's the ultimate. There's right? nothing better than when reality and perception are married. And, so and, and Apple is a fantastic example of that. Now, they've built this brand over the last 20 years that's second to none, really. And for all the people that hate Apple, sorry, but it's... Stop <laughs> listening to this on iTunes if you hate Apple. <laughs> yeah. well, I mean... Because you are not among friends if you hate <laughs> Apple. That's like hating your mother. Uh, you know, I don't... If you hate Apple, I, I would say then that's... You, you got other things you might want to look into. But I, <laughs> at the same time, you can hate Apple if you want to hate Apple. But I would like to say that regardless of whether or not you like or hate Apple, you can't deny the juggernaut that they are at perception, right? For one thing, regardless of whether you like them or not, there's a couple other billion people that love them. And reality, their products outside of their remote for their Apple TV and their mice in general, 
outside of those. No, products, the new the new Apple TV remote is a game changer, Jed Toffer. Have you not received? It's, it's better than what the old one was, but it's still not that no, great. Brand new, like just came out. No, I saw it, and it's. I guess I haven't. Uh, you know what? I'll. It's life changing. I haven't, okay, sorry. I haven't actually used it, but I have a. We digress. I have a oh, I haven't actually used it, and you're trying. Okay, okay. Well, you Call know, me it looks, when it's you've certainly used it. a, it's certainly a huge step up, but that's not saying much. Historically, their remote has been horrific. But besides I those two products, virtually yes. every other thing that they currently make is amazing. And so yeah. you have this company that I think is a great example of figuring out what it looks like when you marry uh, reality and perception. And that's absolutely what they've done. And they've succeeded immensely as a result. I love that. And the other thing that they do, and I know that they've been studied endlessly. Yeah. But the other thing I think they do that is directly relevant to portrait photographers in general is that they are reductive. So they are not about like, let's add all these 55 options to Mm. something. In fact, they're Mm. like, what is the least amount of things we can put on this thing? Yeah. What's yeah. the least amount? Right. Yeah. It's just the minimal. And that is the other thing that I think elevates the perception is we don't need all that stuff. And I think as photographers, we... I mean, I don't want to talk about bad about labs because we love White House Custom Color and you too. But <laughs> sometimes do. we get too many things, right? We just... Well, okay. So that's an interesting point. I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. It's like the big thing I think is just because the lab offers it doesn't mean that you should too, right? In okay. fact... I was saying to this person, I was like, I'm in an interesting situation. I have one foot in the studio ownership camp and have for 20 some years. And my other foot Mm -hmm. firmly planted in what it's like on the backside in the lab camp. Because we have a lot of people that say a lot of things. I want this. I want that. I want this. And then albums. Let's use albums as an example. I want this size. I want this size. I want this size. Okay. So White House over the years has offered lots of different sizes of albums. You know what people sell? Square albums. Square 10 by 10. 8 by 8, 10 by 10, 12 by 12. That's the vast majority of things that sell. It doesn't mean that, oh, White House shouldn't offer other sizes. But what it does mean is that it's not like there's a ton of people out there that want all these different crazy sizes of albums. You right. know, And as a photographer, I think if you're offering lots of crazy sizes of albums, then you're risking overwhelming your client during the sales experience or even before that like who wants to get a sales sheet or a menu or whatever you want to call it, an options menu, whether it's in your hand or it's digital, where there's 57 options for albums? No, exactly. It's awful. Yeah. And you're not doing your job. It's just, I think one of the things that our industry is particularly bad at is the idea of curation. Like we don't like to edit our own work. So you look at a website and there's like 75 images from one session. We overshoot. We show way too many images, overwhelm people. And so all of that is just like walking through like Ross Dress for Less or Kohl's versus walking through Prada, you know, to Mm -hmm. buy your clothes. And so you're seeing that it's a lot, a little, a lot, a lot, a lot. And so we've been trained as consumers, particularly in the United States, is a lot means cheaper and less means because it's yeah. already that you've had an expert that has gone ahead of you and mm-hmm. figured out what the best is and then brought that back and said, this is what this is. And that's what Apple does. Apple has gone and mm-hmm. said, yes, we could do three and a half inch floppy drives. We could do you know all these ports and all these things. Nope. We want this little... When you're sitting on a plane in first class and you're sitting there with your laptop, we want it to look sexy. We want it to look beautiful. We want it to be not only functional, but an object of desire. And that is exactly, I think, what we do 
as photographers. We're creating objects of desire, beautiful things, but we don't need to be showing all the things because the more you show, the less value is placed on the single thing. Yeah. And honestly, that would just freak me out as a consumer. If I walked in and saw all the things, especially these days that you can get, I'm just going to say, nope, right? No. And I'm not I'm You're like, not can I just get the digital files and I'll go lay well, in my yeah, bed sure. and go on Shutterfly anyway. and figure it out? Yeah. I would do that anyway because I work for a lab. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, of course. Right. But, but, it, no, but it's I, no I wonder. It. And when we get mad, then people get mad. Like, why are people still asking for digital files? It's like, well, mm. they don't know what else to ask for because you've overwhelmed them. You've We've shown them too many things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, I always say like, you know, letting the lab dictate what you are carrying in your studio is like letting a builder, a construction framer, tell an architect or an interior designer how the house should look. It's like right, a, right. a lab is a fulfillment house. Yes. They are to fulfill your vision. So it would behoove you to have one. Now they'll show you examples because they want to sell their sure. stuff, obviously. Yep. They're not stupid. But if you have a vision, you can dial that in and it helps on the back end too when you talk about value, about pricing, that it streamlines your ordering. Like if you're doing all those different size of albums, you have to, I mean, the ordering mistakes that are possible with all of that, I mean, that's just from a workflow, it's a nightmare, you know. So yeah. back to your death by a yeah. thousand cuts with the Wacom tablet, yeah. you know? Yeah. How can we make it easy and how can we make it simple? Yeah. Okay. What other what game changers do you have for us, Jed? Well, a couple of them are limited to, well, our personal experience because we work together as partners. But it would this would also, I think, work if you had an employee. And you can relate to this. But for us, a big thing was defining our roles okay. um, and being honest and self-aware about who we were, each one of us individually. And we needed to communicate well through that process. Like you were saying that Ivan came on and as like post-production, right? Like production. So uh, <laughs> like uh, basically ordering, right, spreadsheet right. keeping. If we're doing our own fine art printing, he's doing that. Work orders for framers. Just basically all the things that keep us out of jail. And yeah, a lot of the back, a yeah. lot of behind the curtain stuff, mm -hmm. right? That's who I was too. And so Vicky was good on the front end and I excelled on the back end. And really a lot of times it was near the two shall meet, mm -hmm. right? Like, For sure. And maybe not at the beginning, but certainly as time went on, it was like, this is my house and I'm doing this part <laughs> and that's your house up front. That's, that's how you keep the marriage intact is separate offices are key. Well, we certainly, yeah, that was a big piece. And the other thing I'll just mention real fast, and you can tie this into value however you want, because this is all kind of like what happens as in order to do that, in order to be able to even offer something of value is that we had to hire really well. Oh, yeah. Um, and I hear people all the time, they're like on the fence, should I hire somebody? Should I hire somebody? Should I outsource? Should I bring somebody in? And we learned real quickly that we needed to hire slow and we needed to fire fast. Oh, yeah. That, that is the truth. Does that sound brutal? No, that's absolutely slow to hire, quick to fire for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But that's because that's so much part of your value as well. And I think when you first hire your first employee, it's so daunting because you just think, oh my gosh, this is so much money. I could do this all myself. But man, if there's anything I could add to that, it would be pay more than you think because it's just worth it. You know, I think when you try to cheap out, you just end up with like marginalized talent. <laughs> you know, you never really well, get the full that's person, true. you know. Well, that speaks to hiring slower and firing faster. Yeah. And that also goes back to the time conversation we were having at the beginning in that 
my whole point in hiring people was so that they could do the things that would free up more time for me to do stuff other than things that had to do with the business or to do things within the business that I should have been focusing on more, but more valuable. Yes. Yes. A better use of my time. For sure. Yeah. But if you don't even know what that is, like what is the best use of your time? And that, like you say, defining that and knowing who does that that role, you know, like, so for me, I finally, I had to really sit down and think because, you know, when you start and you're, you're a solopreneur, you think you're great at everything and nobody can ever do it as good as you can. And then you quickly learn that actually you can hire people that are better than you, like perish the thought. But I soon realized like the things that, at least in our studio, that I were my highest and best use is shooting and being with the client. So anything that I'm doing where I am not shooting or I'm not with the client, I should not be doing or marketing, obviously, you know, but my marketing is being with the client. So yeah, that's a big part of it. Sure. Yeah. But it took me a long time to get there. I I let a lot of things get in the way of like, well, they're not doing that to the level that I want or whatever. I don't know. What do you think about that? I absolutely agree. And I think it's easy to get pulled in a lot of different directions. And I think it's really easy to get spread too thin because that's essentially what happens. But I also believe this. I believe that part of the value piece and learning to value yourself and learning to value your time will help you in the process of doing things like delegating. There's an ego piece there, isn't mm-hmm. there? When when you think to yourself, ah, you know, I, I need to do this myself because no one's going to do it as good as I can or no one's going to value my business as much as I do. And I'm not saying that there isn't a piece of truth there because there can be a piece of truth there. But I don't think that that should stop us from really trying to bring people in when it's necessary to help us in the process of building our business. And I think that when you value yourself and value your time and you look back and you're like, I'm, you know, I'm working 58, 62, 75 hours a week, which is gross in mm-hmm. my opinion. When you start to value your time, I think it's certainly an incentive at that point to bring the right people, the right person, even at the beginning, in to help you realize your goals. And you know what? If your goal is to work 75 hours a week, I don't know what to tell you. I would like to think that your goal would be to make the money that you can make in 75 hours a week in half the time. Right. Right. Well, and that's a conversation that I had with Kim Wiley recently as Mm -hmm. she said, like the game changer for her was that they were doing, I don't know, close to 400 sessions a year. They had this thriving business. She had 12 employees. I mean, she was just go, go, go. And she had these two little kids and never seeing them. And she's like, I thought we were like at the pinnacle. Like we were just making rain happen. But then she says, somebody said to her, what are you making per hour when you factor in how many hours you're working? And when Uh she did that math, she was like, oh, hell no. And completely yeah. changed everything. She literally cut her studio in half, fired all of her employees, like kept two. She literally drastically reduced her business and made the same amount of money with, I don't even know, like one eighth of the employees by just completely changing the model of her business. And so I think we do get, you know, I always call it like the head in the plow syndrome. Mm-hmm. My dad was just a, such a hard working guy. And his solution for everything was just like, just work harder. He was the, you know, animal farm, like just work harder, just work harder, just keep going. <laughs> yeah, like he's yeah, the horse, yeah. you know, just, yeah, just keep working. Yeah. I will work. I will work. And literally it killed him. It literally yep. killed him. And so yep. we can do that, but is that really what we want to do? You know, so looking at how much time you're spending 
what is your hourly rate really? And when she shared that with me, I was like, oh, I need to look at that. You know, And I think I've done a lot better the last couple of years because I've allowed myself to let other people help me. Because I think as entrepreneurs, your podcast series with Julia Woods was so awesome about all that coaching and mindset stuff. And I think I'm guilty of... My story is nobody's coming to help me. I'm the little red hen. I have to do everything. And nobody can do it as good as I can. Is, and that, so, is that a victim mentality or is that arrogance or both? What is that? Who knows? I mean, like, do we have enough money to have it shrunk? I mean, who knows? Uh, but I uh, think it's like, I have to do everything. So that has been mm-hmm. like my story. And then I just go about making that story true. So then when somebody oh. doesn't do it to perfection, so then it's like, see, told you. Okay, I'll have to take it back. So it's so. like mm-hmm. the mother martyr, right? It's the, you know, oh, okay. I told you a two-year-old couldn't unload the dishwasher. I guess I'm just going to have to do it forever. You know, <laughs> as the 12-year-old lays on the couch and plays Nintendo while right, I do the, right, you know, right. that's stupid. So just like you're saying... <laughs> With the Wacom tablet, you can keep clicking that option button for 157 times, or you could just once or twice, or maybe even three times, train somebody to do it. And then you don't ever have to do it again. Yeah, right. Exactly. But you won't do that if you have all these stories about, you know, I'm the only one that has to do it. I'm whether it's like you say, whether it's arrogance of I'm the most valuable, or maybe the big Mm -hmm. fear is that we aren't the most valuable. I don't know. This could go very deep. Actually, well, you mentioned my series with Julia. I think that one of the biggest things that I've that I got out of that that I've talked with them about many times before is the statement, "What else could be true?" Mm-hmm. I love. I don't like applying that to myself. No, but because we're always right. Con- I mean, for other I love people, the concept of it. for other people I mean, that are that are consistently wrong in their daily yeah, all life, the, all the, all that the is people a, that really need the help. That is important construct for those of us who are always right. We don't really actually need that concept. But you know how much, and especially when you're between a rock and a hard place or when you're struggling with something, when you're challenged by something, when you pose that question to yourself, oh, baby. I know. I hate that. Any of that self-growth stuff is just so hard. So hard. (laughs) So hard on you, but it's so good. I love it. Yes. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Anything else? Any other game changers that we need to know about? Oh, you know, I touched on this briefly, but the last thing, well, there's a couple of things. One thing I had, I had a little piece that I called mentors Mm. because I think it's super important to, and I think I've heard you talk about this before, but we've talked about this for a long time, is that reach out to people. Don't be afraid to reach out and whether it's directly or whether it's to go see somebody at a show or whether it's to you know take a workshop or whatever. And the landscape's changed over the years. But mentors, if we would not have had the mentors that we had, we would have failed almost immediately. Like we oh, yeah. legitimately needed people to help us get to where we were today. And you don't even realize it half the time as it's occurring. Like sometimes it just happens organically. But yeah. in retrospect, Man, I can look back and people like Dave Junion and Darton Drake and Tim and Bev Walden and Tim Kelly and Michael Taylor and Mike Hanline himself, you know, my current boss even. As you look back at, for me, the last 23 years or however long it's been now, and all the contributions that these people made, not just to our business, but to our lives and who we are as people is astounding. It's amazing. And I shudder to think at who I would be and where or where I would be or what my life would be like even if I wouldn't have had those people, I don't think I'd be part of this industry. We wouldn't have made it. For sure. Yeah. And I think that that's such a good point because when you talk to, say, a group of photographers and a course that you're running or or whatever, 
almost always the first thing that they're asking is like, well, I just need marketing tips. Like, give me some marketing tips, you know? And you're just like, okay, I can give you all the marketing tips in the world. And that's just going to help you fail faster because that's just going (laughs) to... It is. It's just going to pour gasoline on the dumpster fire that you already have going. Not that everybody's a dumpster fire, but I mean, we we all are, especially when we start because we just don't know what we're doing. But if we can get the idea of in our mind that valuing what we do, that what we do has value, being able to communicate that. And I feel like to your point about the mentors, that part right there, that's what I've learned most is to watch many of those that you just mentioned and others that you can see that they're not selling like used car salesmen. They're not being jerks. They're not offending their client. They're just doing like amazing, beautiful work. They found out really authentic to them ways to communicate that value to their clients. They know who they are. They still don't necessarily think they're all that, but they are they're not willing to roll on something without being compensated. Like just yes. standard yes. respect. And then they right. have processes by which to make that happen. And then they're willing to inform and help and share with others. And and then just, you know, I mean, you and Vicky, you didn't take that information and then just go to the bank with it and then not share with anybody. I mean, how many years did you guys spend, you know, with Haven and educating and, many, and many probably years. still doing that, you know, and then you're doing <laughs> that every week on a podcast. So I would count you in my list of mentors that have oh. helped me and shaped me and and really just made me the thing that I value the most about our friendship and our relationship is that you make me think you make me oh. consider other options what else is true what, you make me think what else true? is true what else could be true yeah yeah well, I love I that. that well Jed where can people find you for the people that are might be living under a rock and the two people that <laughs> listen to my co- podcast that might want to find you that didn't yeah. know about you well, I host this conversation. It's a podcast uh, presented by White House Custom Color. You can find it on like 11 different platforms, all the podcast platforms. And then it's, it's a vidcast as well. We, we record ourselves on video that you can see on this conversation on YouTube or go to conversation. You know, you can find it on... Uh, we have a website as well, conversation.whcc.fm. Yeah. And yeah, I'm around Instagram, a, a lot of the Instagram. shows. Oh, we're on Instagram at, at this, this combo. combo. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I should remember that. And then I go to a lot of shows uh, that are starting to happen again. I know. I love it. Um, I'll be at WPPI in a few weeks. Um, When is that? August 15th. Well, I'm going there August 15th. I think think it actually happens like 16th through the 19th or something like that. 17th through the 19th. I don't know. I'll be there. And I'm very excited to be there again. This is going to be great to go back and see people at places. Well, I know that you're super busy and your time is so valuable. And I appreciate you taking the time to be on my Little Fledgling podcast. (laughs) Thank you for having me. It was an honor. I appreciate you. Yeah, I, I appreciate you too. Thank you. You can find more great resources from Allison at dotherework.com and on Instagram at do.the.rework. 